The scripture reading is the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. It can be found on page 896 in the Black Bibles. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The word of the Lord. Thanks for reading, Lucy and Wynn. Welcome, everyone. My name is John Trapp. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King. That was Clay Holland who was leading us in our liturgy. A lot of you all know that Clay was formerly the senior pastor here at Christ the King. And if you have been checking your emails, you maybe saw an email that came out a couple weeks ago about some staff announcements. And uh, one that we're really excited about is that Clay is staying on longer to serve as our pastor for families here at Christ the King. Uh, it's just such a blessing to our church to have, uh, to have him continuing to serve in our midst. And, uh, and if you hadn't heard that, I wanted, I wanted y'all to know that. Um, and I also wanted you to know, I mean, Clay has been such a blessing to me as, um, as a friend and really a mentor in a lot of ways as I've kind of transitioned into the role that he used to fill here at this church. And I'm just so thankful for him. Um, I, I know a lot of people, not a lot of people, some people when, when that transition happened were like, how's that gonna work? Like the old guy's still gonna be around here? Old guy, sorry, Clay. Um, and uh, <laughs> y'all, it's been, it's, it's been a huge blessing to me. And he, he's really let me lead, but also 
just really supported me like a brother and um, like a cool uncle or I don't know, something like that. Uh, just love Clay so much and so grateful you're going to keep serving here, brother. Um, y'all, we are continuing in our study of the book of John and uh, we are going to look at this idea that Jesus gives us that he is our good shepherd. So three points for you this morning. First, the sheep. Second, the thief. And then third, the good shepherd. The she- we're gonna look at the sheep, the thief, and the good shepherd. But before we do that, let's, uh, let's pray and ask that God would bless our time in his word. Lord, thank you so much for giving us your word. We pray and ask that you would help us to understand it. We can't do that unless your Holy Spirit works in our heart to open our ears, our eyes, Uh, to receive what you are saying to us. And so we pray that you would be at work in our midst now through your word. We pray all this, that you would do this in your grace. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, if you remember, if you've been here a couple weeks, we are looking at this portion of John where Jesus is teaching at a, a Jewish feast that's happening in Jerusalem. It's called the Feast of Booths. It's when um, the Jews would gather to Jerusalem and they would remember how God had guided them out of Egypt toward the promised land. But during that time when they were in the wilderness for 40 years going from Egypt to the promised land, God appeared to them as a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day, and he guided them. In many ways, he shepherded them like a flock of sheep through the wilderness. And in, in this season that we're in the church calendar, this season of, of Lent, it, in many ways it's also a time where we are looking forward to the promised land in the church calendar, Easter, when Jesus, when we, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But every, every Sunday in Lent is a respite from the season of Lent. It's, it's a reminder that Easter has already happened. That's why we that's why we celebrate. That's why we celebrate and gather together in worship on Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. In many ways, it's a light in the midst of the darkness of Lent as we're as we're going on our pilgrim journey. And Jesus is at this celebration, this Feast of Booths, which was celebrated with light and with people making temporary shelters and singing and feasting together, and Jesus is recalling that time when God's people were like sheep. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, but the Bible's most frequent comparison to what it, of creation to what people are is sheep. I had one of you help me design my office when I started here, and uh, so you were sending me text messages, pictures of like, hey, do you like this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? And one of the pictures that was sent was a framed picture of a sheep. This, it's, just a, it's just the face of a sheep's head looking right at you. And I was flipping through it. I kind of stopped at that one. I was like, that's kind of cool. And you texted back, yeah, I'm really into that. So, okay, cool. So now when I'm writing a sermon, if I'm sitting at my desk and I look up, there's just this huge sheep staring right back at me. And sometimes I'll look at it and I will be alone in my office and I will look at that sheep and I will audibly laugh. And I will laugh because it, it, it is a picture of me and of you. That's what the Bible is saying over and over again, that we are like God's sheep. And I laugh because that's not exactly a flattering animal. There's, not, there's no NFL football team that's the sheep. 
right? Like no mascots, no one has that as their mascot. It is kind of a wimpy animal. It's kind of a dumb animal. But the reason, as I was studying this this week, the reason um, a lot of commentators and scholars say that we're compared often to sheep, it's not because we're dumb, which we kind of are sometimes, and it's not because we're wimps, which we are sometimes. It's really because sheep are the most fearful animal. I mean, if you've ever seen a flock of sheep, they're kind of all just like checking their, you know, their boundaries all the time. You know, just looking around. That, 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 is, that is the life of a sheep, is a life of fear. And that in many ways is the human experience of feeling afraid and helpless. And look, I don't, it, it doesn't matter how powerful you are, how wealthy you are, how much status you have, there are still moments in your life that you will come up against that make you feel helpless. And those moments feel very scary. It may be the, a, a really scary diagnosis that you or somebody that you love hears from a doctor. And that makes you feel helpless and afraid. It may be a turn that happens in the market that you weren't expecting. That makes you feel helpless and afraid. It may be the way your adult child now thinks of you. Or thinks of the way that you live your life. That makes you feel helpless and afraid. And for, for all of us, we all face death, every single one of us, and that can make us feel helpless and afraid. This is the human experience. And out of that, like sheep, we, we want to follow somebody who can help us. I'm going to add this little illustration because someone told me out there after from the 9 o'clock service, they told me this is so great. They said... There's a video on YouTube of somebody, this woman who's on a run in France, she's jogging, and there's a hundred sheep following her. And the guy who's videoing is like, are those your sheep? And she says, nope. They just started following me. I've been running for a couple miles. So the sheep are all just kind of standing there behind her because she stopped and talking to this guy. She's like, all right, I'm gonna keep running. And she starts running and all the sheep are like, oh, they just keep running after her. There's a hundred sheep just... that's what we do with our fear is we we look to someone or something to follow I mean it, it is it is not happenstance what do we call when someone begins subscribing to a personality on Instagram or on Facebook or on YouTube what do you begin doing you begin to become their follower you begin following. We're, this is what we do. In our, in our fear and our helplessness, we look to somebody to lead us to greener pastures, to lead us to safety or to security. And maybe you tell yourself, you know what, no, I am like, I reject the mainstream culture. I kind of do my own thing. I'm like punk rock or emo or like you know, my like subculture, counterculture thing that I'm into is disc golf. It's like golf except with a Frisbee. And here's the funny thing. Go to a punk rock concert or come with me to a disc golf tournament. Guess what? Everyone's dressed the same, right? 
We, we, may, we may like to pat ourselves on the back and act and think like we're countercultural, but we are actually just following a different culture because we are herding, H-E-R-D, we are herding creatures. E- even the entrepreneur lone wolf types like Steve Jobs and Charlie Munger, Henry Fords, all of them were voracious biography readers. And and they would have called themselves followers of the ones who went before them, the independent thinkers. We are all sheep. And in our fear, we're easily lost, easily wander away. And Jesus sees this happening in Israel. He's actually, he's just healed a man who was born blind in John chapter nine. We looked at that last week. And all of the religious leaders are bothered by this because he did it on the Sabbath day. They're bothered by this because they think that Jesus has somehow broken the letter of the law, which he, he, he hasn't. They think that he's broken the law and they're upset with him. And Jesus sees that the self-righteousness of these religious leaders is going to lead and is leading God's people astray. This is what, second, the second point in my sermon, the thief does. The thief, verse one, comes in by another way. The thief wants nothing to do with the entryway into the sheepfold, which Jesus has already said is himself. He is not only the good shepherd, he is the door to the sheepfold. But the thief wants nothing to do with Jesus. The thief wants to come in another way. And this stranger is going to try and lead the sheep astray, we see in verse five. It's going to call, the stranger is going to call to the sheep. I have another way to security, another way to to hope, another way to safety. Makes me think of that terrifying scene. You know Disney movies just have terrifying scenes sometimes? The one in Pinocchio really got me. Pleasure Island right? The boys who are being called to, right here, boys, right here, get your cake, pie, dill, pickles, and ice cream. Eat all you can, be a glutton, stuff yourselves. It's all free, boys. It's all free. Hurry, 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 hurry. Calling them to Pleasure Island to take whatever they want, but what happens to those boys when they get there? They're made into slaves. They turn into donkeys. That was the nightmare part of that for me. And they become slaves. This is what the thief does, promises pleasure and happiness, but delivers misery and slavery. Promises security, delivers insecurity. David Zoll, um, a few years ago, wrote a book called Seculosity. It's a great title for a book. Basically, the idea that... um, In our world, even though we've become more secular, which means um, less God-oriented, more godless, as our culture has become more secular, we haven't ceased to be religious. We've just become religious about different things. We're just not religious about God. We're religious about all other kinds of things. And the reason that we do that is because we think those kinds of things are going to give us security or what the Bible would call righteousness, or what Zoll says, David Zoll says, our, our culture would call 
getting enough or being enough or feeling like you're enough. And so we'll pursue those ends religiously because we think we'll follow those, those ends like sheep because we think it's somehow going to give us safe pasture. It's all right, so listen carefully and you'll hear that word enough everywhere. You'll hear about people scrambling to be successful enough, happy enough, thin enough, wealthy enough, influential enough, desired enough, charitable enough, woke enough, good enough. We believe that instinctively, were we to reach some benchmark in our minds, then value, vindication, and love would be, be ours. That if we got enough, we would be enough. If you are listening to the voice of our culture, that something will make you enough, then you'll face the question, like you're gonna face this question all the time. Do I have enough? Do I have enough? Have I, have I done enough? Have I been a good enough parent? Are my political takes airtight enough? Have I, have I worked hard enough? This is what's happening in Jerusalem in that day. The, the religious teachers are holding the law of God over his sheep and asking, have you, have, you, have you done enough? Have you obeyed enough? Have you followed the letter of the law enough? And Jesus sees this and he speaks against it because he knows where that leads. He knows that it will not find It will not lead us to security. Here's my question for you, though. If you're wondering, okay, where is it that I'm looking to to feel like I'm enough? Ask yourself this question. What is it that's currently exhausting you? What is currently exhausting you? I bet for some of you, maybe, maybe it's work. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your schedules or your kids' schedules. What are we communicating to our kids when we schedule out their lives and our own lives? We fill it up. What are we communicating to them about where life is to be found? Where their security is to be found? I've talked to parents of of children who've grown up and left the home. And they'll say something like, well, not all of them say this, but a good number of them will say something like, man, we ran a thousand miles an hour, got to the end, our kids were out of the house, and we kind of looked at each other and said, what just happened? Like, what were we hurrying around, racing around, bending over backwards, grinding ourselves to the bone, trying to get accomplished and trying to do, and now we're looking up. And we've formed our kids to either be that way or to be destroyed by that kind of way. And we're exhausted, and we've lost our time with them. This is what the thief comes to do, to steal and, and I, do, I do think that our time sometimes can be stolen with the way that we schedule out our days. The thief comes to steal, to kill, 
to destroy. But the sheep hear the call of the shepherd and they follow. Follow into safe pasture and they flee, verse five, from the voice of the stranger. So one of the things we need to ask ourselves is, are we tuning our ears to hear the voice of the shepherd? Uh, I read a story about uh, a woman in Israel and during some conflict in Palestine, her husband was killed and their family uh, was a shepherding family. And uh, like many families during um, this war that had broken out, uh, their uh, their possessions were kind of scrambled and their flocks were scattered. And so this woman uh, has lost her 25 sheep, which is the livelihood of this family. But there, were, uh, there was a place nearby where all of these sheep that had been kind of disbanded and dispersed had been gathered together in this massive sheepfold. And she goes there and she's guessing, that I think my sheep are in there. And she's trying to explain this to this guard, this security officer. And can I, can I look for my sheep? And he's kind of rolling his eyes. And she says, if I, if I can find my 25 sheep, can I leave with them? He's kind of like shaking his head, looking at her, like, how are you gonna find these sheep? And this is an, an American guard. And then she looks at her son who pulls out this tiny flute, this little wooden flute, and begins to play this very simple tune and starts walking among the sheepfold hundreds of sheep in there. And as he's walking, the guard sees sheep heads start going like this. Pop, 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 pop. And 25 sheep gather around this boy and walk out of the gate because their ear had been tuned to the call of their shepherd. Now, friends, Jesus is telling us that he is our good shepherd. But he's also warning us that there are going to be all kinds of other thieves and robbers who will be calling to us. Maybe even, not maybe even, definitely even within his church. False teachers. False teachers who, by the way, want the best way to know if someone's a false teacher or not is, do they want anything to do with the door in and out, Jesus? There will be false teachers, there will be things of the world, all kinds of things calling to you. And my challenge to you, and particularly to parents in the room, is are we tuning the ears of our children to hear the call of the shepherd? My challenge to you, if you're not a parent, are you tuning your ears to, to know and to discern the call of the shepherd? That's why, I, I, know, I feel like um, this is ego saying, saying this, but it's not. This hour is the most important hour in our days. This hour is the most important hour in our week. And it's not because I'm preaching. If I wasn't preaching, I'd be there. I need this too. This is the most important hour in our week because this is the hour where our ears are once more tuned to hear the voice of the shepherd. It's why your kids, if y'all come, if you come to the second hour regularly, I would encourage you not to send your kids to the student ministry for Sunday school. Because this is the place 
and gathered worship where we hear the word of the shepherd preached, where we feast together and see and taste the good news of the shepherd together. He's given us this time to tune the ears of our children, to tune the ears of our family, to tune our own ears to hear his call. And there are gonna be all kinds of things calling to us. So we need to hear his song. The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. But final point, what does the good shepherd say right after that? I love this. What does Jesus follow up on the heels of saying what the thief does? He says in verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Do you hear how different Jesus is? That Jesus doesn't come to take one thing, to take, or to offer you something. He doesn't come to offer you something and then to give you something way worse. He doesn't come to take from you. He actually comes to give for you because he's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who adores his sheep, who calls his, I love this, verse three, he calls his own sheep by name. You know what? There's something that happens when we name an animal. I experienced this at the trap house this week. On Sunday, last, last week when I got home, there was a cat at the trap house. Y'all, we have five kids and a dog. We don't need a cat. So I'm like rebuking this cat. Get away from like, you know, in the name of the Father. So like, I'm trying to get this thing out of the house. And I'm like, away, away with you. And I, I mean, I know I'm your pastor, but I was mean to the cat, okay? I'm sorry, I was mean to the cat. And then I drive away, run a quick errand, come back. And in the garage are four trap kids gathered around the cat. And my four-year-old Hank looks up at me and says, Daddy, I love Stripe. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, he has a name. You gave him a name. <laughs> Actually, that's when I went to action. I was like, we're getting on Craigslist, on Facebook, on Nextdoor, all the apps. Look for all, and we, we, we found, we found, we found where Mr. Meowie lives. That's his real name. I know that Jesus loves me because he helped us find Mr. Meowie's home. But there is something that happens when we name, when we name an animal. It, it really is, it's different. And, and it's because there's a relationship that's been established. We have, we have an, an established relationship when we have a name. And Jesus is saying, every single one of my sheep has a name. I just love, if you look through the gospels, Jesus is naming people. He does it with his disciples. It's so fun. Simon, he said, you're not Simon anymore. We're gonna call you Peter, which means rock. You're Rocky. So he's got Rocky. He's got Thomas, who he calls twin. And like, no one knows why they called him that. It was probably some, some, something that happened at some point and they started calling him twin. Maybe he looked like some famous person somewhere. I don't know, twin. And then there were the sons of thunder. How about that for a nickname? James and John, sons of thunder. Jesus is naming them. They're his friends. 
And Jesus is like, every one of my sheep, I call by name. He's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. That's how you know he's really the good shepherd. If you're a skeptic here today, and you're like, okay, how do I actually know he's good? I want you to see how good of a storyteller God is, the God of the Bible. And I want you to see how good he's claiming to be. Because the place where Jesus is standing in Jerusalem the place where he's standing and is proclaiming that he is the good shepherd is a place that we first find in the Bible called Mount Moriah. And I want you to grab the black Bible that's in front of you and I want you to flip with me real quick to where we find Mount Moriah for the first time and where we see the word lamb used for the first time in the Bible. It's in Genesis 22, when God has commanded Abram to take his only son that he's waited for decades to finally have, to take his only son, Isaac, take him to Mount Moriah, Abram, and there you're going to offer him to me as a sacrifice. God had never asked Abram to do anything like this before. How was God going to take that from him? God had been so good to Abram, had given him so much, had given him this son, and now he's going to take that son from him. But Abram obeys, and he goes, and they're going up the mountain, and the first time we hear the word lamb in the Bible comes out of the mouth of Isaac. In Genesis 22, verse 7, look at it with me. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And it's easy to sterilize that line, but I bet there was some grief in that. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And Abram obeys the Lord And he takes out his knife after laying his son on the altar. And he's about to slaughter his only son. And God stops him and says, now I know that you are devoted to me. Do not take your only son. And then in verse 13, look at this. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by the horns and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. The ram takes the place of the son. But I want you to think a couple verses back. What did Isaac say the sacrifice was gonna be? Not a ram, a lamb. And what did Abraham say that God would do? That God himself would provide, not a ram, the lamb. And now Jesus is standing on that same mountain. He is standing on that same mountain thousands of years later. And he's looking at people that he wants to know that he is the good shepherd. 
And the way that he's ultimately going to demonstrate that he's the good shepherd is he's actually going to become, he already has, he's become like a sheep. He became a person. God himself did provide the lamb. Who were the first people who visited God when he became a man? Shepherds. Not an accident. What does John the Baptist say when he sees Jesus? Behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. To the cynic in the room, why should you believe in this God over any other God? There is no other God who does this, who takes on flesh, who becomes like us, like a sheep, like a lamb led to the slaughter, who becomes like that so that sinners like me and like you by faith and by his grace alone through faith, we can be saved and rescued by the good shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures, who leads us beside still waters, who restores our soul, who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death and tells us to fear no evil because he's with you. He's there to comfort you. He prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies so that goodness and mercy can be yours. You can follow the Lord all the days of your life and dwell in his fold, in his house forever. Amen, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. He is a gift that we did not deserve. And yet you freely gave your only son. Oh Jesus, help us. Help us to look to you, to follow you. Tune our ears to your voice and yours alone. Only you have the words of life. In you there is abundant life. So help us to follow you today. We ask in your name. Amen.